Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Of course, I prefer to think of it Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. you know, I recently thought about buying a Velcro hat, but I decided not to. What made you decide not to, Hank? I just thought it might be a ripoff. All right, I'm going to retell the joke, but make it better. Uh, Hank. Yeah. I recently was about to buy some Velcro shoes, but at the last second I decided not to. You know why? What why? I just I like the the tying. <laughs> I'm here all week. I just like this I, just, I like it. the feel of a string yeah. on my fingers. Yeah, I don't know. It just makes me feel accomplished when I tie my shoes in the morning. I'm always like, look what I did. I did something today, at least. I did yeah. the whole shoe tying thing. My feet are snug in their booties. Everything every time is good. I tie my shoes, I think about Mr. Rogers. I'm a 41 uh, year old man, and every single time I tie my shoes, I think about Mr. Rogers, and I will for the rest of my life. That's well at this point, definitely. So, Hank, it's not that long. You know what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I got the joke. I was just trying not to comment on it. Uh, what What's up, John? Here's what I would have tweeted this week. Um, oh, and, and okay, there, great. I'm sure that there's plenty of things. There was a lot of pressure on me to tweet this, actually, but I, I held firm. I would have tweeted one of the many amazing pictures I took of the Looking for Alaska Hulu TV show set. Oh, Okay. Oh, That's not what I was expecting to hear. It was so surreal to walk through that place because the Culver Creek that they have built, uh, the people who are making the Looking for Alaska show, looks so much more like the Culver Creek of my imagination <laughs> and indeed my, my actual high school memories than yeah. my current high school because of course like all the buildings at my at my current high school have been long since renovated and and the place mm -hmm. looks completely different and walking through Culver Creek 
with the cast of Looking for Alaska was definitely one of the weirdest experiences I have ever had. I, I was I was visiting the Uncanny Valley, and it was mm-hmm. it was beautiful and and weird and overwhelming. Uh, and I'm very grateful to all the people who are making that show, and I had an awesome time. But now I'm back. That's longer than 280 characters. It occurs to me. It is, uh, but you, I'm sure you would have had some very pithy things to say about the Mueller report. Uh, would I have? I mean, I, I, I really don't miss engaging oh, with no. news I'm, stories I'm in 280 been, character bits. Yeah, I'm not saying it would have been good or helpful, yeah. or for you or the world, but I'm sure you would have had them to say. I'm sure um, I, I'm sure I would have, and I'm sure I would have found the whole thing irresistible. Uh, fortunately, I found it and find it utterly resistible. <laughs> this first question comes from Abigail, who writes, <laughs> Dear John and Hank, what is the proper way to get your body into the bathtub? Also, should you fill the water and then get in, or get in and let the water run over you while the tub fills up? Bombs and bubbles, Abigail. Fill the water or they get in? No. I think? No. Wait. Oh, God. I I bath wrong. I don't know how to do it, John. I've done it like 13 times. It... Is, it doesn't matter how you get your body into the bath. That is not relevant. You, any way you can, Abigail. The point is to get into the bath. Now, you want to get into the bath when there's about an inch and a half of water in the bathtub. And here's why. You want to be able to change the temperature of the water as the bathtub fills in an extremely specific way, right? Like Because we all know a bath that is slightly too cold or slightly too hot is barely even a bath, right? Like the whole benefit of the bath, the relaxation benefits all come from it being the perfect temperature so that it feels like your body is almost floating in like a slightly warmer womb, Right. Mm, right. Yeah. You, it's, it's all about the womb. So you get in with about an inch and a half of water in the bathtub and then you're able to calibrate as you go if you want the water a little warmer or a little cooler. If you have a bath bomb or bath salts, you're going to want to put those in like just before, maybe like two minutes before the bath is done filling up so that they have time to dissolve or make some bubbles if you're a bubble, bubbly person. And then you're going to want to spend 10 minutes after you've turned off the water, before you wash yourself, just relaxing, just making time for you. Every time you have a thought that's like an anxious thought, that's a worry, that's a, a fear or whatever, you just let that you just let that go right out into the womb what if, of the bath. What if, what if you have now created a situation where I'm having constant worry about whether it's the right temperature because apparently if it's too hot or too cold the whole situation is worthless i mean i've definitely been in that situation before hank where i got into the bathtub and <laughs> it was just I, and i waited too long to get in it was almost full when i got in and it was a little too cold and i just I, you sit there and you're just like well what is even the point why am i even <laughs> bothering this is not relaxing. In addition it's not to that yeah. it's, it would be relaxing if I wasn't so upset about the fact that it's not relaxing. Yeah, I might as well be in like a freezing cold swimming pool right now. Like I might might as well be like out in a snowstorm. This sounds way too complicated. I'm just going to keep taking showers. That's great. That's, the thing about a shower, there's so many things that disgust me about showers, but I think the thing that I find the most disgusting That's about so them weird. is the way that the little pellets of water shoot you. Like BBs, like shoot, bang, like, bang, bang, like bang, bang, bang. They just like shoot it. against your body versus I just like soaking in a tub. Oh, it's I'm so nice. It. 
John, I have a question I want to ask you. You didn't highlight it as the question you wanted answered, but I'm sure. very curious. Okay. It's from May who asks, yeah. Dear Hank and John, why does my bottle of ketchup specify that it is tomato ketchup? Oh, Are yeah. there other kinds of ketchup i have never seen any of them in the store what hidden forces are keeping me from trying onion ketchup come what may oh that's a great name specific sign off Uh, there are non-tomato ketchups right like other fruits can be ketchuped yeah i think there's a wikipedia page called fruit ketchup Mm. um i know that there is banana ketchup banana ketchup was, was a replacement for tomato ketchup though when in the philippines they couldn't get tomatoes during world war ii mm. so they started making banana ketchup and now they still make it they call it banana sauce now they don't call it maybe some people still call it banana ketchup there's also other like i feel like there's a cur- there's curry ketchup i've heard of but yeah. that probably also is sort of uh yeah there's all based. there's apple ketchup uh which i've had before actually and oh uh, yeah i mean it gets at some point it gets to be a fine line between being so distant from what I know is ketchup that it's inaccurate to call it ketchup, you know? Right, that's the thing. Like, tomato ketchup won this battle so hard yeah. that you might as well not have other kinds of ketchup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the, obviously, there are other diet sodas, but when you say, I'd like a diet soda, you mean I'd like a diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Course. Sometimes I'm at a restaurant and I ask if they have Diet Dr. Pepper and they look at me as if, of course, they don't. And then I say, do you have Diet Coke? And they look at me as if, of course, they do. And I'm like, well, that is the wrong way to go about running your restaurant. John, I don't have any particular interest in your particular interest for Diet Dr. Pepper. So I kind of feel like <sighs> moving on to a different. Were you drinking Diet Dr. Pepper right now? Yeah, I was actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were just talking and it was kind of boring to me, so I decided to have a sip of Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> they, uh, the, the theory of where the word ketchup comes from shocked me a little bit, because ketchup to me seems like a very uh, American thing. Ketchup seems yeah. like American. I don't know why that seems American, but yeah. like I don't know, because French fries and ketchup, right. we like that. It's a thing we do, and I like it very much myself, but it, it it's probable that the word ketchup ketchup either comes from the Malay or Chinese. The Malay being a word for various fermented savory sauces like soy sauce, Mm. and the Chinese being from uh, the brine of pickled fish. Mm. So you'd pickle fish, and then you take the 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 like leftover yeah. like you take the fish out yeah and there now you sell those but then you got this leftover pickled fish brine and people were like ketchup that's what that is <laughs> all of that is surprising to me because tomatoes are a new world food like tomatoes didn't exist in Malaysia right. or China until after the Colombian exchange which is just a reminder that everything is new including Diet Dr Pepper which uh, always says it was established in 1885 but in fact didn't exist in its current form until the 1980s. By the way, Hank, do you know what Diet Dr. Pepper's newest ad campaign is? Uh, be a pepper. No. Yo. No, all their uh, all their cans these days say, you deserve this. <laughs> Which <laughs> is not clear if it's like a punishment or a reward. <laughs> like if the Dr. Pepper Snapple group is like, you've been bad, have a diet Dr. Pepper. 
or you've been good have a doctor pe- I think probably they think you've been good and apparently everyone thinks they've been good which may be a problem yeah. or maybe it's just the way of the universe this next question comes from Marissa who writes dear John and Hank how do you stay focused on one story or project for so long I've been going through old Vlogbrothers videos and when the Faulkner Stars came out John said he'd been trying to write that book since he was a hospital chaplain and Hank's first mention of his book was in late 2015 you both seem to keep the story going for so long and I can only stick with the story for a few months. I have hundreds of pages of scenes and character descriptions and storylines. Is this just because I'm young? I am only 20 and I will improve with age? Or do you have any tips on how to stick with a story? Uh, boy, do I not know. I guess I don't have any choice. I'm too busy to to mess about. I'm not. I I still write things that I abandon all the time. I think that some of it is being 20. Like when I was 20, I, I found it impossible to finish long stories or when I did finish long stories the length was like 20 or 25 pages I think that you do over time get better at living in a world for a a long time without losing interest in it but Mm -hmm. I also think that the reason it took me 11 or 12 years to write The Fault in Our Stars isn't because I was writing The Fault in Our Stars every day. It's because many days (laughs) I had, most days I had abandoned it, you know, like. Yeah, many months, maybe even whole years. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd come back to it and I'd write a bunch of things. And a lot of, I mean, there were several times when I went and tried to write the story that eventually became The Fault in Our Stars. And I'd work on it for a few months and I'd write you know, ten or 15,000 words, and literally none of them ended up in right. the, the Fault in Our Stars. So I, I don't think you can, like, judge yourself uh, that much, especially when you're young. I think you have to follow your interests and your passions. And part of learning to write is about learning to write fragments. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you, you get better at stitching those fragments together. I found that uh, the thing that, that kept me with the story and 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 still now keeps me with the story is like legitimate concern for the characters. Mm, I'm just worried about them and I want to know what happens. Right. And ultimately like I, you know, I have sort of a rough sketch, but uh, uh, as I'm writing, I often find that, um, that things take turns. I don't expect them to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes like last night, the stuff I wrote, I as I was laying in bed, I was like, they wouldn't do that. They would do this other thing. And so tonight when I write, I will change it so that they did the other thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's like both trying to be true to the characters while also trying to like give them the freedom to move in their world and, 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 uh, and also to give them the structure to go to the place where they need to end up. Um, Kind of keeps me driving, solving the problem, being interested in it and being worried about what they're, you know, how how they're going to do and if they're going to be okay. And the thing you have brought up to me a lot and talked with me a lot is like how much value there is and and that maybe we didn't see in previous decades of our lives in just spending a lot of time examining one thing. And I think that's a lot of what the Anthropocene Reviewed is about. Yeah. Um, think hard. And, yeah. and that uh, is really helpful for like, like creating a fictional person or world or situations because like you have to spend the time understanding them and the world in greater detail than is going to be on the page. Because yeah. like, so you have to like, you know, really get into the like the dirty work of imagining, which is 
kind of a wonderful opportunity to get to be a professional daydreamer sometimes. Yeah, at its best. <laughs> at its best. There's also lots of other things that go into that process. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this next question comes from Crystal, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently purchased a book on Amazon, and I did not read the description very carefully, and when it, when it arrived, it was a giant coffee table mm. book. I have never owned a coffee table book before, and now I feel like I am not going to let it live up to its life's purpose. While I do, in fact, own a coffee table, then what's the problem? I rarely have guests over to have it worth having a book constantly on the table. Any help would be appreciated. Not a rock, Crystal. You don't have coffee table books just to impress other people, although that is one of the central reasons you have them. <laughs> you also have coffee table books to impress yourself. So you'll sit down and like get ready to watch TV, and you'll be like, wow, that is a beautiful coffee table book about the work of Carrie James Marshall. I am very sophisticated. Now I am going to watch House Hunters International. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to watch people make really bad choices about moving to <laughs> Bolivia, having never visited there before. And they're going to rent an apartment that is a single room without a window uh, that is inside of a church that is itself inside of an office building. Fascinating. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, at, at uh, least I feel comfortable that this couple is going to stay together since they met on the internet nine hours ago. The, uh, and I'm sure that all of this is not staged at all. Um, <laughs> I feel like, oh God, when somebody pointed out to me that all of House Hunters International was staged, I was so devastated. Like it ruined like a large swath of my consciousness. Yeah, anyway, it, well, also, like, saying? it ruins the part of you that's like, how did I not notice that? Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. I like, know. I will occasionally yeah. say to Catherine when we're watching some, some like, reality television thing, I'll be like, well, the camera was already in the house, so they're not actually surprised that they showed up. And Catherine's like, oh, man, why did yeah. you say that? It's okay right. for me to live in the fiction. Yeah, um, it's really, you don't want to, never, when you're watching any fictional content, Never think about where the camera is because it ruins everything. <laughs> but it's not supposed to be fiction. But it is. Uh, this is about coffee table books, John. I, right. I I am a little bit on the fence about coffee table books. Bec like I feel like they're a little bit of um, they're like a like if you put art on the wall, you put a carpet yeah. on the floor, you put yeah. a book on the coffee table. Like that's it's just like a like an object. And I know that like carpets serve other purposes besides being decorative, but it, you know, that's one of the purposes they serve. And I feel like it's like a, it's just a way of constructing your space. And I have not ever, and I imagine that this is the case for most coffee table books, like read one. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about being married to a curator is that I am married to somebody who has to read coffee table books because in a lot of cases, books about art and artists are kind of coffee table shaped. And right. so sometimes Sarah will be researching an art assignment video and she'll be in bed reading like a book that is two feet high and a foot and a half wide. <laughs> and she often That's comments on how- picture. <laughs> Don't fall asleep while you're reading that book. You could die. She often comments on how incredibly like unpleasant a reading experience it is because <laughs> the columns of text are so long that by the time you get to the end of one, it's like takes you forever to track back to the next column of text. And 
And and so you're you're right that they're not for reading. They're for paging through, right? Like I have a coffee table book about the history of Liverpool Football Club, and mm. it it's not for reading. It's not for you know you start on page one, you end on page six hundred fifty two. It's for paging through and being like, oh yeah, Kenny Dalglish scoring that goal, that was amazing, things like that. And so I, I think having a coffee table book is great as long as you don't ask it to be a bunch of things that it's not. Which, by the way, is the same for all of us. <laughs> it's also <laughs> not just coffee table with books. People, not just coffee table books, but also House Hunters <laughs> International, individual humans, etc. Yeah, and Bolivia. <laughs> yeah, just every, all. Yeah, let's, let's. We're just. Do, we're all just doing our best, whether we're a coffee table book, a person, or a nation state. John, why? Why haven't you written a coffee table book? I don't see why not. Ah, they don't sell that well. And as you know, Hank, I love money. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you want to answer that question a different way? Not really. <laughs> okay. This next question comes from Paloma, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I hate my coworker's ringtone. I mm. cannot freaking stand it. Mm. It is the most annoying song ever. She receives like six calls a day and then takes forever to answer. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> If you set a song as your ringtone, yeah. like that's basically saying I'm the kind of person who always answers on the fourth ring because this is my jam. <laughs> Should I Shut ask up. her to change it? Should I get her fired so I don't have to oh, listen wow. to that horror daily? Oh, my gosh. I'm starting to think the problem might not be with your coworker's ringtone. Or should I continue to live in despair forever? Okay. I mean, how bad is this song? The, I'm suspicious that... Paloma hasn't named the song because it makes you think that maybe it's great. Maybe it's a good one. Maybe it's a and maybe, maybe it's a banger. Maybe Paloma just doesn't have good taste in music. I understand how it's annoying to hear the same song no matter what the song is six yeah. times a day. But I'm wondering. So here's my suggestion, Paloma. Go home, listen to some of the artists' other songs, and you may find yourself over time kind of getting. Oh, wow a little bit into that artist and then maybe it can be a place of empathy for you instead of a place of resentment. That's bold, John. That's a bold, that's, yeah, you hate this song so much, go, like, exposure therapy. Go have more. Exactly. Well, yeah, or at least, like, try to find, is there a song you like that's by a similar artist from, mm -hmm. like, a different album? And then you can go in and say, like, hey, Joey, uh, I don't know if you've listened to uh, the new 21 Savage album, but it's significantly better than the one you took your ringtone from. I really like the song a lot. I wonder if you could maybe listen to that, see if it might be your jam. Is, is it possible that in general, music as ringtones is bad, especially in a public setting where... Uh, it's not great. I agree that it's not great. Why don't you just put because... your phone on vibrate? You're at the office. It's not like you, like, you know, need to be, like, awoken from a slumber. Yeah, because it just occurred to me, like, right before I went in to get the colonoscopy, the, the person in the little room next to me separated yeah. by a curtain, their ringtone yeah. was the Game of Thrones theme. And if that played wow. as I was entering the operating theater, I would be very weird, like very worried. Yeah. You'd be like, I guess this is it. <laughs> I've, I've seen how this show goes. Yeah. If I could go back just qu real quickly to the 21 Savage song a lot. I, I've been th trying to think, like, why do I like that song so much? And I think it's because there's one line I find really relatable. It's when 21 Savage says, how many lawyers you got? A lot. I also have a lot of lawyers, and I find it to be really overwhelming at times. Yes. 
And I just, I, it's funny to me that he and I would have a point of connection because I feel like we've had vastly different life experiences. Right. Yeah. That, that but would I know be what the... it is. I, I definitely know how it feels to like not know if things are good or bad so much as they're a lot. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we all know that feeling, but not particularly with lawyers. So it's interesting that yeah. that is a hashtag relatable moment for you. Yeah. That's why you got to have a lot of words in your songs so that like some of them will be relatable. To <laughs> right, any, like hyper specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many novels about conjoined twins you read? A bunch, <laughs> like eighteen. It's weird. Yeah, it's like a, more a than most people <laughs> might have a record. Yeah. I don't think I have the record, but I think I'm definitely in the top half. This next question comes from Maggie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, do I tell the stranger next to me that he needs to examine his zipper? What's the protocol with talking to strangers about their pants situations? Wake up, Maggie. I don't get that name-specific sign-off, but uh, thank you for Wake the... up, Maggie. I think I got something to say oh. to you. Oh. It's late That's September. Good. I really should be back at school. How many lawyers you got? A lot. <laughs> uh, so I think with teeth, with teeth stuff, if I'm at the pharmacy and I got teeth stuff, I don't mind the pharmacist going, tooth stuff, like you got a little something in your teeth. I don't mind that. With zipper, I'm feeling a little bit different. I feel like, yeah. I, like I just got to live that life and assume that when I discover it on my own that nobody noticed because I want that's the world I want to live in even if it's not real. Yeah, friends, yes. Acquaintances, maybe. Mm-hmm. Strangers, no. Yeah, I, I like if there was some way to broadcast information in a completely values neutral way. Like mm-hmm. if I could just like have a text message come up on that person's phone and it says X Y Z, I'd do that. But I I could not, and sh- I don't think you should say to their face. I can see your boxers, bro. Uh, yeah, I don't. It's it's a complicated one, but in general, I try to pretend that strangers don't exist, <laughs> especially their zippers. Yeah, I just try not to like. I just try to. I just try to block out that there's all these other people at the target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really not how I live my life. I, I am. I am. I have way too many conversations with strangers in the Target. I can't remember the last time I noticed that anyone's zipper was down because I I feel like I'm I'm a very like shoulders up looker, mm-hmm. partly because I'm tall, you know. Right. If you're sitting on the if you're sitting on the subway and the person standing on the subway, then maybe yes, then it's an issue. But I haven't. The last thing. time, Hank, the last time I was seated on the subway was literally 2006. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I like to stand on the subway because then it's easier to leave if there's an emergency, <laughs> which is... <laughs> not not unlikely. And pe- people are like, oh, it's so polite of you to uh, leave a seat for me. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I just, in case something bad happened. <laughs> Do you have any more subway safety procedures for us? Well, yeah. I mean, the number like, the hardest thing is that obviously you have to be standing so that you can be one of the first people to get out when the emergency happens. Uh-huh. Uh, but then the hard part about that is that, of course, you don't want your fingers to touch any surfaces. <laughs> <laughs> That's not safe. Because then if that, the subway suddenly right. stops, then you're all up on other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you just have to basically you have to develop like Alex Honnold level balance. <laughs> um, but instead of, you know, climbing up 
uh, El Capitan without a rope, you're um, just trying to make it to 86th Street. Yeah. I I do like to try and stand without touching anything on subways, uh, which yeah. I generally oh, find. I, yeah. ma- you can put, like, I, I can put different parts of my body against the pole, right. including like the crook of my elbow, which is usually enough. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by a little pamphlet that you've put together. It's called John Subway Safety Procedures. It's available at DFTBA.com. April Fool's, maybe. I don't know. When is this? You can buy it as a coffee table book as well. It's 800 pages long. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of diagrams. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Wrong Temperature Level Bathing. Wrong Temperature Level Bathing. Useless. It's also brought to you by various non-tomato ketchups. <laughs> Some of them's got fish in it. Hey, we've also got a Project for Awesome message. Somebody donated to the Project for Awesome to get us to read this message. In fact, it was many people in this particular case. Diana, the queen of microwaves. Hagai, the death doggo. Alice, Kath, Lily, Alex of the Cuckoo Crocs. Cuckoo Crocs, and maybe. And yeah, boy. Geo to Goose, Meg, Ev, Katie, Sky, Rob, Allie, Glenn, Allison, Jake, Mac, Aaron, Lie, Will, Bex, Cody, Haley, Emily, James, Jack, Ench, and SJ are wow. lovely to Ataria Modmens. This is a call out post to tell you that we think you're pretty amazing. Thanks for modding the server real good and for dealing with us as we nyam the general and threaten to fondue your bots or burn down the Discord. So, to all of our hardworking Modmens, <laughs> yes, even the Jonathans, thanks for being awesome. We love you. This message is Kath approved. Yeet dab. I don't know what any of those words mean, but uh, Tuataria <laughs> is an amazing community of nerd fighters. Uh, they have a great Discord server. You can just Google Tuataria uh, if you want to join them. And they. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Do lovely projects together and also have a lot of inside jokes I don't understand. John, do you want to discuss paper clips? Oh, boy. We have never... In the 72-year history of this podcast, the 964 episodes we have made, never have we started such a bonfire as when (laughs) we announced to the world that paper clips should be long end in the front and short end in the back. Lots of people agree. Lots of people disagree. Mm -hmm. I think we got over a thousand emails about this, which is ludicrous. (laughs) (laughs) This one is from Amber Marie. 
who says, I work for a judge. I handle paperwork all day, every day, and our office uses tons of paperclips. There isn't really any benefit to having a paperclip face a certain way. Sometimes the paperclip binds larger stacks and gets a little stretched out, so in order to reuse it, I actually have to flip it to face the other direction or bend it back in place. Also, I, I have to just stop right there, lest we start another bonfire and <clears throat> say... Millions of people disagree with Amber Marie and have extremely <laughs> strong opinions about whether the short end should be in the front or in the back. And I, I, I'm pretty sure everybody is wrong. Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure that like there are no right answers here. Yeah. But Amber Marie's email was my favorite because it basically argues for like a Brexit-like approach to the paperclip problem. Like, <laughs> we don't like this, so we're just quitting. Right. As someone who works in an office that functions around paperwork, binder clips are immensely superior. They're more secure, <laughs> less prone to loose page less prone to lose pages due to slippage or snatch pages from an adjacent stack. I wish that paper clips would be eliminated, much like John wishes the penny would be. I hope that this insight helps your paperclip dilemma. Hashtag use more binder clips, a millennial who remembers Clippy, Amber Marie. To be clear, Amber Marie. Millennials are not young anymore. <laughs> when we talk about young people, Amber Marie, we mean, you know, young people. <laughs> the only the only paperclip thing I saw that made even a little bit of sense was don't put the big side in front because it might cover up some of the text. I will, however, say that this can be solved in two ways. One, reading the line despite the fact that there is a very, very small amount of occlusion. Or two, just move it over a little bit. It's a paperclip. It's oh, not I mean stuck there. No, the thing that it made me realize is that so many of us in our jobs have these repetitive tasks right. that we build, like, you build a worldview around it. Mm -hmm. Like, I've signed my name 475,000 times while sitting in my basement. And as a result of that, like, I have extremely strong opinions about Sharpie, Sharpie color. I, I, be I believe in this conspiracy theory. Is it a conspiracy theory when you're the only person who believes it and you've never even mentioned it to anyone? <laughs> but I believe in this conspiracy theory where certain colors of Sharpie last longer than other colors of Sharpie. No, they do. That's like, absolutely like I have also signed my name a bunch. That is absolutely true. Yeah, but but nobody talks about it and I'm I'm like is nobody talking about it because I've made this up? Is nobody talking about it because it's not interesting? It's probably that one. Or is nobody <laughs> talking about it because there's a massive conspiracy? Well, the the question is, do they run out sooner? Yeah. Because there's something about the ink that's different or do they run out the sooner because the ink is more expensive so they put less in? Exactly. And I, I yeah, and, and I don't I don't know the answer to that. I've actually tried to do a bunch of research into the chemical composition of Sharpies because th there are people who are still alive who invented Sharpies like it was at the time it was like a discovery. And the reason Sharpie is Sharpie and other permanent markers aren't is because like Sharpie made a better mousetrap in this case a permanent marker. Uh, but anyway. It just it reminded me of that because like I think so much about Sharpies and like the thickness of lines and like the kinds of paper and the, whether the paper sticks together and how the paper gets bound into books and yada, yada, yada. And I, there are a lot of people who feel that way about paper clips. I want very badly to make a video that tests Sharpies in many different ways. And <laughs> we'll see if that 
is ever going to come idea. to fruition. I need like to work with work. need to work with like Mark Rober or Simone Gertz on a way to test sharpies. Yeah, no, it's, I love that idea. <clears throat> I, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one person who's going to be a super fan of that video. Your brother. <laughs> That's. It's not about having a bunch of people like it. It's about having one or two people like it a lot. That's the future I, I mean, of YouTube. I, I actually agree with that. Like, I, yeah, I think, no. you know, make stuff, make stuff for people who will love it, not for people who will like agree to watch it begrudgingly. <laughs> Speaking of which, Hank. Uh huh. I, I just love Dr. Benji's football manager series right <laughs> I now. I you going to ask another question. Can you gonna ask, I know you like Dr. Benji, John. We share a YouTube account. <laughs> I'm aware. Yes, and I know that you like looking at microscopic life. <laughs> I do. In a rich, high definition. I, I actually have gotten into that, too. So you've, YouTube's algorithms has like, inf- your YouTube algorithm has infected my brain Maybe in a beautiful way. everyone should share a YouTube algorithm with someone else. Like maybe this oh, is the actual problem idea. with YouTube is that like yes. if you only focus on what you're into, you yes. are like you like it it's not good at it. YouTube needs to be like, okay, here's this person. We're gonna like pick a rando to be their YouTube sibling and start to infect their recommendations yes. with recommendations from from this rando. Right. And then at the end of it, YouTube can be like, Congratulations, you're now married. <laughs> You like, and you'll be you like, like, I don't, I don't want to get things. married. And, and YouTube will be like, no, 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 no. The algorithm has told us that this right. is the person for you. And you could be like, well, no, I'm pretty sure I don't really want to be married to this person. And then YouTube will just continue to tell you that you're going to marry that person the way that they continue to show me the same six videos over and over <laughs> and over again every time I refresh the page. You, yeah, Google like, will be I'm like, I'm pretty sure you want to watch this one. And I'm like, I know that I don't want to watch this video that's about like how alt-right people are misunderstood and, and totally correct. Like, I'm sure I don't want to watch positive. it on YouTube. I'm going to hit refresh. Hundo P. Uh, if, what, and then eventually Google's just like, actually, we have merged your bank accounts. You're the same person. We're in control of everything. You have one yeah, social security number now. You don't have to be married if you don't want, but you do have the same last name and you do have a shared bank account. So good luck and Godspeed. This next question comes from Tara, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my good friend recently gave me a plant for my birthday, which is really lovely. I like giving plants. This is one of my favorite presents. I, however, have a lot of plants in my home already. This is the thing. They only gave you a plant because you already had a bunch. I recently started a new job, and I was already thinking about getting office plants. Is it rude of me to take the plant my friend gave to me to my office? I'm pretty sure they would notice when they come visit, but the sad truth truth is that I'd probably spend more time with it at the office than I would at my home. Not a Spinoza, Tara. It's a gift. It's a yes, it's a gift. You can do whatever you want with it. It's not their plant. It's your plant. They gave it to you. And if they come over and they say, where's my plant? The right response to that is, oh, I'm sorry. It's not your plant. It was a gift. No, I mean, the, you could say, you don't, you don't even have to wait for them to say that. You could say, oh, thank you for the plant. And then uh, like two days later, take a picture of it on Snapchat and snap it to them with a heart 
and say, thank you so much. Look how nice it looks at my office desk. Like, yeah, or yeah, you or you could just say what you said to us, which is like, unfortunately, I spend more time at the office than I do at home. So I thought I'd take the plant to the office where it brings me so much joy that I and I don't have to think so much about paper clips and like other people's ringtones. Yeah, like it's it's hard out there in the office life, and this plant brings me so much joy and happiness. And it's bringing happiness and joy to all of my coworkers as well. We need more plants at our office, John. I've been recently thinking about this. Uh, it's a good idea. I, I feel feel like we are a bit of a, a bit sterile. Not a lot of stuff on the walls. Need to get the action on. Sorry to all yep. my employees. We need some plants up in this business. Yep, I I actually I agree with you. I think you're correct. This, yeah, it's not a joke. It's something I actually want to do for our office. Yeah. I don't really want to have plants in our office, but I do want to have better art. Ugh. No, art doesn't make oxygen. Hank. Mm-hmm. It's time to get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Is it already that time? And I have, won- I have wonderful news. Uh, that's a bit of a surprise. AFC Wimbledon mm-hmm. continue to not be last <laughs> <laughs> in League One, oh, despite... Great. A fairly infuriating 4-2 loss to Gillingham. Mm. Uh, What made it particularly heartbreaking is that AFC Wimbledon's longtime captain and my personal hero, Barry Fuller, now plays for Gillingham. He's just so good. I mean, he's 33, 34 years old. He doesn't have the pace he once had, but he's just such an intelligent footballer and such a hard worker. Uh, and it was it was a little bit heartbreaking uh, to see him playing for a different team. Wimbledon uh, went one nil up and then uh, gave up yeah. one good goal, one really really bad goal, uh, the one kind of medium sized goal. We went for the whole Goldilocks <laughs> vibe. <laughs> At which point uh, it was three one, then it was four uh, one on a you know like a goal that was all right, and then it was four two. We scored in like the ninety seventh minute, a pure consolation goal. Uh, so now Wimbledon are pretty much where they were when we last spoke. After their incredibly good run of form, uh, we'll see if this is the beginning of the end or if it's merely a blip in Wimbledon's great escape. But uh, Wimbledon, after 39 games, have 39 points. They probably need to win four of their last seven games, Mm. which, not easy. Um yeah, no, that's the end of the sentence. <laughs> They've won three of their last five? They have. They have. Um, we need to win four of our last seven, uh, which <laughs> is possible, but, you know. Are you playing yeah. Bradford City in all of those games? We are playing Bradford City in the last game of the season. Okay. and. I think Bradford will be relegated by then, so hopefully they will have nothing to play for. Uh So one way of thinking about it, in fact, the way I've been thinking about it in my head, is Bradford City's currently in last, and that's our last game of the season. So if we win three of our next six games, then we just really probably have to win that last one. Um, (laughs) So you just need need even odds. You need to be as good as, like, Oxford United. Yeah, we need to. Yeah, we need to win three of our last six games. Um, you need to be and, like exactly as good as Gillingham, which you've yes. just shown you are not. We're, we're exact. not. Not at the moment, but yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I I still think it's possible. It's not likely, but lots of things that aren't likely happen. So I'm not giving up hope. 
What is the news from Mars? Well, in news from Mars, John, did you know that uh, Jeff Bezos has an invitation-only conference called <sighs> Mars? Does he really? He does. It stands for uh, <sighs> Machine Learning, Automation, Robotics, and Space. Mm. Okay. And I read a, uh, a, a little op-ed newsletter post from somebody who was at the Mars uh, conference event thing that Jeff Bezos does, which uh, he refers to um, moments that are particularly stressful for uh, for engineers who are doing pitches to Jeff Bezos. And I'm just like, oh, oh gosh, wow. Oh, that makes me have that makes me feel a way. Um, but anyway, that a, a fair amount of that happens. But ultimately, this this take um, from Jonathan Vanian, who writes a lot about artificial intelligence, was that mostly the event was like, we don't really know how to do any of the things we need to do. And artificial intelligence is not smart enough to solve these problems yet. Good, I guess. Um, yeah. But they sure did have a lot of really cool people come together to hang out with Jeff Bezos. Um, and uh, it looks like probably AI is not going to get us to Mars by 2028. Right. How? What, what was the big plan for AI getting us to Mars by 2028? Like it gets really good at reading stop signs and then eventually <laughs> takes us to Mars? <laughs> The, the the sort of artificial intelligence robotics thing is you you launch up robots that are really smart and they are able mm -hmm. to go to an asteroid, mine that asteroid for materials and fuel, and mm -hmm. then you need to shoot far less stuff into space. You could also ah. send intelligent, like, because all the hydrogen and oxygen that you need will already be mm -hmm. up there and you won't have to, like, haul your fuel into space. And also oh, you could okay. send those things to Mars and they could be on the surface of Mars digging right. up, you know, oxygen for the colonists to use, digging up water for them to use. And uh, that's the idea. And like, sure, um, I think that that is probably going to be uh, the thing that actually makes space travel uh, something that people do frequently. Uh, like mm -hmm. if, if it's ever a more commonplace thing, like if, if we are a ever able to have like not sustainable, but like permanent colonies on other planets in the solar system, which we'll start with Mars is, is the guess. Then we're going to start out. Then we're going to need that infrastructure of smart robots doing a lot of the work for us. Yeah. But first they've got to like figure out when a stoplight is green and when yeah. it's yellow. Which they still also can't do. Yeah, first they gotta they gotta be able to tell a, the difference between like a, a Jersey barrier and an empty lane. Right. Yeah. I, I I just to say that it's like not close. I think is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And obviously the pace of change does you know consistently surprise people. But, right. But but oftentimes yeah. with stuff like this, it's very easy to come out on a stage and say like, imagine what the possibilities mm -hmm. could be if we if yeah. like if this were possible. And it's like, yeah, yes, agree. But also to say that like self-driving cars is an insignificant problem. Like it's not, it's very hard. It's easy to do when the road conditions are perfect. It's very hard to do when there's snow everywhere and like the whole system breaks in a way that humans don't because humans can adapt in a way that computers can't. Right. It reminds me of the great Onion TED Talk about how 
in the future, all cars will run on garbage. Imagine a world where all cars run on garbage. We have lots of garbage and we have lots of cars. It's the perfect match. How will it work? That's for the technologists to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Hank, I hope we get to Mars soon, but not by 2028. I hope we get there in 2029. And by the time we get there, the artificial intelligence has made us swimming pools and hot baths and everything else we'll need to survive. <laughs> Thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for writing in. Thanks for all your questions. Sorry we didn't answer more of them. You can email us uh, your questions or your comments or your paperclip concerns, but please no more paperclip things <laughs> at hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. We're off now to record our Patreon-only podcast, This Week in Ryan's, which you can get at patreon.com slash John. It's really bad. <laughs> the music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the episode is by the great Gunnarola, and as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.